if you would, uh, along with your drink, you make sure that you get your Bible out because we're going to be in the scriptures today. And I want you to go ahead and turn to James chapter four in verse 13, James chapter four in verse 13, as we begin to take a proper view of our future. In 1988, a book was distributed to almost every pastor in America. The title of this book was 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. That book and its author, Edgar Wisnett, predicted that the rapture of the church would take place either on September 11th, 12th, or 13th, and many people believed his prediction. Even Trinity Broadcasting Network went so far as to change their normal programming and broadcasted a selected video telling non-believers what they should do in the event that their loved ones suddenly disappeared. Over three million copies of that book were distributed and countless millions believed in what that book said. But here's the point. None of it ever came to pass. The fact is this, man just does not know the future. If this winter storm taught us anything else, it should remind us that at any point, our lives can be frozen and our lives stopped just by outward circumstances. We don't know the future. But you know what I find intriguing is that people spend millions of dollars trying to discover the future. They spend millions on psychics and uh, palm readers, all to no avail. They don't know any more when they came out than they did when they went in. But the fact is, we are able to look backward, but we're not able to look forward. We're able to look backward, but we're not able to look forward. And it's probably a great blessing that God has hidden the future from us. I mean, if we were able to see it, then our lives would be altered significantly. I mean, if you're, if you're honest with yourself, how would you live your life differently if you could see the future? If you're honest, if you knew that prosperity was coming your way, well, you'd probably live a little bit carelessly now. If you knew that adversity or trouble was coming, it was a part of the forecast in your life, you'd probably be living with constant anxiety and fear. Certainly God, our gracious God, has done us a favor by keeping the future a secret. Now, in James chapter 4, James deals with the future. And James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, a leader in the early church, tells us that even though we cannot know the future, we should deal with the future very honestly. So in James chapter 4, in verse 13, follow along in your Bibles with me. In verse 13, James writes, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend the year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. 
whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. James was writing to these believers. And that's what we need to know this morning, is that James was writing to believers that they shouldn't presume upon a future that they cannot control, nor should they plan on a future without taking God into consideration. James told these believers not to postpone until the future those things that God was commanding them to do today. And there are three mistakes that James reiterates here that made these early believers do something that often we do ourselves. Let's allow these three warnings to help us develop a proper view of the future. James said that mistake number one that they were making, that these believers were making, is they were planning their future without God. Notice what James says to them in verse 13. He says, come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and we'll spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Now, what I didn't share was in the preceding verses and verses 1 through 10 of chapter 4, James had gotten onto these believers about their indifference toward their brothers and sisters in Christ. But here, James is telling them that they are being indifferent, they're being complacent, they're being unconcerned toward God. And that's a much bigger problem. They were ignoring God as they made their future plans. And that, friend, is a form of worldliness. Nothing is wrong with planning the future. But it is a sin for the Christian to leave God out of the planning process. Notice the sense of urgency that James has in verse 13. He says, come now. It's like, wake up, guys. Let me have your attention. This is urgent. You cannot be indifferent toward God. So here was their plan. The plan was constructed. When did they plan? They planned today or tomorrow. Then they chose the place. Where did they plan? In the cities. You see, trade is where the money is. And so these people were going to go, get in on the ground floor, and they were going to make a fortune. But then they calculated the period. How long were they going to go for? Well, they would only need a year to succeed. But then they considered their purpose. Why were they going? To buy and sell. Are you getting the drift here? It was all about making money. It was all about prosperity. It was all about what they could gain as a result of their plan. But then they computed the profit. What purpose were they going for? To make a profit. 
this was their focus. They were focusing improperly on the money they could make rather than, rather than doing God's will. They were focusing on the treasure. And when you do that, friend, it's a sure road to disaster. When we begin to love gold more than we love God, the Christian is on shaky ground. So that was their plan. But notice the problem. The problem was twofold. First of all, they were carrying out their lives without regard to the will of God. Why is that a problem? Well, friend, God's ways and God's thoughts are much higher than ours. Our ways are finite. We can only see a portion of what God has planned for us, but God's ways are infinite, and he, his understanding is infinite. He knows all things. So they were, carrying, they were living their lives day to day without even considering the will of God, but they were also planning their future without regard to the will of God. Why do people do that? I'll tell you why. The reason people plan their future without regard to God's will is because they're afraid that God might get in the way of their plans. That's right. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 31. He was telling the believers there not to worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or or, or what shall we wear? For after these things, the Gentiles seek, the unbelievers seek. For your heavenly father knows what you need, that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Now, young people, I want you to listen up. Teenagers, even young teenagers, I want you to listen up. Young people must be planning for a future with God. If young people do not plan a future with God, especially in with a boyfriend or with a girlfriend, if they don't do that with God's direction, they are heading down a road of disaster. One thing that I remember from December the 31st, 2023, was the evening that we spent together preparing for the coming new year. And as we watched that movie, Jesus Revolution, one thing struck me that I don't think I will ever forget. And that was when that young man was telling his potential girlfriend, you can be my girlfriend as long as you don't get in between me and God. That's something that I hope every one of our teenagers will say. We can go out. We can date as long as you don't get in between me and God. You know, people would do well to remember that even our best laid plans for our lives, for our future, for all we have, for all we are, all those things are in the almighty hands of God. Here's something I read. Man proposes, but God disposes. Man proposes, but God disposes. What that means is, is man plans, but God leads the way. You cannot 
plan outside of God's will and have the effective Christian life. So their first mistake was planning their future without God. But the second mistake was this. They were presuming to know the future. Listen to how James said it to them in verse 14. He said, whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Here was the problem. Here was the problem with these Christians that James was writing to. They failed to comprehend the complexity of life. They failed to understand how complex life was. They were counting on everything to go just right in their lives. But how many of you know that things don't go right all the time? No, things don't always go right. There are so many variables in our life and life is so complex. I mean, how in the world could they know what the future held? How can we know what the future holds for us? You know, I read that back in 1967, a Senate subcommittee predicted that people would be working 22-hour weeks instead of 40-hour weeks. They predicted that people would be working for 27 weeks a year instead of 50 weeks a year. That committee in, in the United States Senate predicted that people would be retiring by age 38, not age 62 like it is now. And all of this was going to happen by 1985. How many of you know that we're still working 40-hour weeks or a lot more? We're still working 50 weeks out of the year or more. And I don't know about you, but I ain't retired and I'm knocking on the door of 62, amen? So we got to realize that the complexities of life cannot be predicted. The future cannot be predicted by current events. Current events that are predicted are nothing more than a trend. A trend. That's what the, the stock market banks on, is trends from day to day. But they can't predict the future any more than you or I can. So the complexity of life, man just cannot know what will happen. But then James said to them, you're also failing to understand the uncertainties of life. There are just some things you'll never know. Notice their statements there in verse 13. Yeah, we're going to go today or tomorrow, and we're going to go to such and such a place, and we're going to spend a year or so there, and we're going to buy and sell, and we're going to make us a profit. But who knew what kind of curveball life might throw at them? How many of you out there today have had a curveball thrown at you just in the last year? Things that altered your life, things that were unexplained, unplanned. That's what happened because life has many uncertainties. Think about this. All of life is subject to the will of God. Not my will, not your will, the will of God. Think about how many people's lives were altered last year by death, 
by illness, by injury, by accidents, totally unexpected, because life can be very uncertain. But James also told them, you're failing to comprehend the brevity of life. The brevity of life. Janet and I were talking this week. We had a chance to talk a lot this week uh, as we were trapped indoors. Uh, But we were talking about how uh, incredibly large the universe is beyond our wildest imagination. And here we are on one little planet that is the equivalent of a grain of sand on the beaches of the world. And we are nothing but the little amoeba on this grain of sand. And you know what? When you think of it like that, it seems like, oh, man, we're so insignificant. But I praise God that we are significant to him and he wants us to plan with him for our future. He wants us to lean on him for our future. You know, life is short. If you didn't know it, life is short. How could these people that James was writing to have a clue if they were going to be even alive tomorrow to go to that city and make a profit? How They didn't have a clue whether they were going to be there a year or exist in a year. They didn't know what kind of accidents and illness and injuries were going to happen. No, the brevity of life will clue you into that. Now, this is not something new. Throughout the Old Testament, the Bible speaks about the brevity of life, about how short life is. I want to share some of these with you. You can just jot these down. Uh, and look them up later in First Chronicles twenty nine fifteen. First Chronicles twenty nine fifteen. David says, "For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, God, as were all of our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow, and with no hope." And then we look to Job. Job knew all about the complexities of life. He knew all about the uncertainties of life. And he also knew about the brevity of life. In Job chapter 8 and verse 9, he writes, For we were born yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are as a shadow. And of course, in that familiar scripture in verse chapter 14 of Job, in verse 1, Job writes, Man who is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. In Psalm 39 and verse 4, again, David writes concerning the brevity of life. He says, Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Indeed, you have made my days as a handbreadth, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is but a vapor, just a vapor. And then David writes again in Psalm 103, in verse 15, he says, As for man, his days are like grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place is remembered no more. 
it would do us well to remember how short life is. And then in it's not just an Old Testament issue. This is also a New Testament issue. And the Lord Jesus addressed this issue of how short life is. In Luke chapter 12, excuse me, Luke chapter, yeah, Luke chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 15, Jesus was sharing a parable. And before that, he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. And then he spoke this parable to those in the crowd saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no more room for my crops? And so he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater barns. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to that rich man, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Jesus says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Friend, this issue of the brevity of life is something that is addressed throughout the scriptures. We need to be aware of how short life is. Now, what was the mistake of that rich man who tore down his barns to build greater barns? Well, the bottom line was he was planning for a future without considering God. He was planning his future without God. He was presuming upon years that he had not seen yet and didn't even know if they were going to be there. So the first mistake that James told these believers they were making is they were planning their future without God. The second mistake that these believers were making is that they were presuming to know the future when that's just not possible. But this third mistake is one that really speaks to us as well as those whom James was writing to. This mistake number three is postponing today's work till tomorrow. Postponing today's work until tomorrow. In verse 17, James said, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. How many of you know that procrastination is a common problem for many people? Procrastination is nothing new. It was common in the Old Testament and it's common today. It was common uh, to the Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 8. How many times did Moses come to him and say, let my people go. Ten times, Pharaoh put it off, put it off, put it off, hardening and hardening his heart, procrastinating. But then in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 27, Solomon addressed this issue of procrastination. He says, do not withhold good from those whom it is due. 
when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and uh, come back tomorrow. And tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you today. Not only did Solomon address that, but Moses also addressed that. In Deuteronomy, in chapter 15, in verse 7, he writes to, to the people of God, if there is any among you, a poor man of your brethren, within any of the gates of your land with which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut up your hand from the poor brother. And then down in verse 10, he says, you shall surely give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you. Y'all hear that? The Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all which you put your hand. For the poor, they will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command to you saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother and to your poor and to your needy in your land. Don't procrastinate. When you see a need, fill it. If it's in your power to fill that need, you fill that need. Don't keep your hand closed. Fill that need when it's in. Don't you procrastinate for a second because putting off what we know we ought to do, it's sin. If you're putting off what you know you ought to do in relation to the work of God, you are committing the sin, not of commission necessarily, but certainly the sin of omission. Omitting to do what God expects you to do. And the Bible is clear that God will deal, deal with us severely if we ignore his will when it comes to doing good. Back to Luke chapter 12. Uh, on further, in verse 37, the Lord Jesus said, Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, he finds watching. Are you watching for the master to return? On down to verse 40, therefore you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Friend, are you ready? In verse 43, Jesus said, blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. And then in verse 47, we find some rather convicting words from our Lord. He said, and that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet he committed things deserving a stripe, he shall be beaten with few. Listen to this, friend. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask more. Friend, can I tell you, much is required of you as a child of God. Much is required of you as a disciple of the Lord Jesus because much has been committed to you as a disciple and a child of the Lord your God. So what are some of the areas in which people procrastinate? What are some areas where people fail to act now and do what God asks them to do. 
Well, obviously, the area of salvation comes first to my mind. God said very clearly in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6, the grace of God, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For God says, in an acceptable time, I've heard you. And in the day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I pray, friend, that you are not procrastinating when it comes to giving your life to Jesus Christ. But another area might be for the disciple, and that is in obedience to God's command. What is that area of your life that you are holding out over here for the flesh? Maybe you're obeying everything else over here in, according to God's command, but what is it you're holding out to the flesh? Just remember that partial obedience is disobedience. So I want to encourage you, don't crash, don't you put off obeying God. Let us be obedient to the Lord. What about surrendering to God in ministry? I'm not just talking about a missionary. I'm not just talking about somebody out there that may be uh, feeling the, the urge and the, the compulsion of God to submit to the ministry, to be a preacher, to become a pastor, to become a teacher. Are you willing to submit to God's will in ministry? Not only in those areas, but what about within the ministry of our church? So many things need to be done right here within our Bethel Baptist Church. We need countless teachers, countless helpers, countless assistants for children, for teens, for adults, for, for everything. There are so many ways you can be plugged in to the ministry of God at Bethel Baptist Church. Friend, don't you wait. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off a single day more. Why? Because tomorrow may never come. What a tragedy it would be, friend, for us to face God having rejected or procrastinated or put off doing what we know God wants us to do. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. Friend, when we fail to acknowledge God in our lives, when we fail to acknowledge God's leadership over our lives and over our future, you know what we're doing? We're living in pride. We're living in pride. And what is pride? Simply self, a self-serving life. Don't live a self-serving life. Don't be prideful, friend. Acknowledge God in every area of your life. We must do nothing. We must plan nothing. We must attempt nothing without first seeking the will of God in every area of your life. You see, what I want is rather immaterial in the scope of eternity. It's all about what God wants in my life, for my life, and through my life. For what I want, it may never come to pass. But what God wants will always get done. So whatever we do, let us be sure that God's goals become our goals. That God's will becomes our will. And in doing that, we'll always maintain a proper view 
of the future. So friend, have you been guilty of any of these things? Can I be the first to acknowledge that I have? I've been guilty of these things. I've been guilty of planning and leading God out of my plans only to have to suffer the consequences. If you, like me, are guilty of those kinds of things, I want to encourage you today to go to the Lord to revise your plans, to ask God for guidance concerning your future and his future plans for your life. Can I just tell you, things go better with God. Amen? Things go better with God. So let's not be guilty of the sin of pride. Let us not be guilty of the sin of presumption, presuming to know the future when we can't. Let us not be guilty of the sin of procrastination, but rather let us trust the Lord, submit to his will in every area of our lives. In closing today, I want to share with you just a brief portion of the devotion from my Charles Stanley Daily Bible. It just struck me and it goes hand in hand with what we're talking about. And I'm actually going to share this verse from the book of Zephaniah of all places. I mean, how many of y'all can quote a verse from the book of Zephaniah? I can't. Anyway, in Zephaniah chapter 3 in verse uh, 17, he, the prophet says, the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Can I tell you, friend, that God rejoices over you? He knows that, listen, he knows that you and I are in the process of becoming. We are in the process of becoming all that he has planned for us to become. You are not yet what you will be when you go into eternity with God. And until that time, God is patiently molding us and shaping us in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So friend, listen, you never, ever have a reason to give up. You are not alone ever. Jesus is always with you and he's cheering you on to victory. He's at your side. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to encourage you as he molds you and shapes you. As long as you'll keep your eyes on him, as long as you'll continue to trust him, you'll begin to see life differently. You see, God has pledged to love you all your life. He walks with you through the disappointments in life and he walks with you and he's never disillusioned when you blow it. He's never disillusioned by your wayward acts. Why? Because God has seen the finished portrait. He's seen your life as he's finished you, molding and shaping you in the image of his son. And he knows that in this life, that you can and you will succeed as long as you trust 
in the Lord Jesus. So friend, have you been procrastinating? Have you been putting off coming to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been putting off baptism? Not only putting off coming to Christ, but also being baptized into the body of Christ. We learned last week that that's equally important. Have you been putting off rededicating your life to the glory of Jesus Christ? Have you been putting off submitting to ministry to Jesus Christ? I want to give you my phone number. If you've got your pen, here it comes. Area code 256-443-5321. If you've been putting it off long enough, if you've been procrastinating about your future long enough, I want to invite you to give me a call. We'll, we'll straighten it out. We'll get in line with God's will. And we'll avoid these mistakes that the people James was writing to were making. We'll avoid that mistake of planning our future without God. We'll avoid that mistake of presuming to know the future when it's impossible for us to know. And we'll avoid that mistake of postponing today's work until tomorrow when we don't even know if we'll be here or not. Friend, I want to encourage you. You call me if you need to. We want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity. And we look forward to joining together in person uh, next Sunday morning. Uh, don't forget about this Wednesday with our children uh, and our youth group. Don't forget about the Wednesday morning Bible study at 10 o'clock, Lord willing. And next Sunday, we're looking forward to getting back together uh, in person. Uh, I, I love doing this, but man, I, I love seeing your pretty faces. Amen. And I can't wait for us to join back together next week. So let me pray for you as we close. And I pray that you have a great Sunday afternoon. Be careful this week. Be careful out there. Still a little slick. And uh, I pray God's richest grace upon you. Uh, I, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you. That the Lord will make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. I pray that the Lord will lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for the conviction this morning that challenges us to make sure that we plan nothing without you. Father, we don't have a clue what's going to happen this afternoon, much less tomorrow or next year. So let us always seek to align our plans with you. But Lord, for what you have convicted us for today, let us do it today. Lord, let us address what it is that you're speaking to us about today. Lord, I look forward to my phone being lit up today as a result of what you want to do in the lives of your people at Bethel Baptist Church. Lord, if they need to come to Christ, if they need to follow through in believer's baptism, if they need to rededicate their lives and get a fresh start, Father, I pray that they would call. And Father, if it's time, high time, for them to submit to ministry, whether it's in the church or outside the church, Lord, I pray they wouldn't waste another day. They wouldn't put it off. Today is the day. Today is the day. And I pray your richest blessings on each one. Thank you so much for the saving blood of Jesus Christ. 
And Lord, I ask your blessings on each one of us throughout this week. Until we get together again, Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. And all the people of God at Bethel said, amen. I hope you have a great day. God bless you. Work out good? Cool. That's about 40.